and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to two doctors because I think we really need some medical advice. It's been a week and a half since the mask mandates were repealed in Ontario and in the Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health Region. And like clockwork, the number of COVID cases in the public and in the hospital are going up. On Friday, Premier Doug Ford said that Ontario has the capacity to deal with the new surge in cases, but he was also extremely dodgy when asked about bringing back mandates and restrictions if things get bad enough. Pandemic fatigue and exhaustion seems to have created complacency, and while the majority of us have the protection of being fully vaccinated, that doesn't mean the dangers of COVID-19 are non-existent. Protecting yourself against COVID-19 without the mandates is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Earlier this month, at a press conference where Dr. Kieran Moore announced the end of mask mandates in Ontario, he was asked a very insightful question by CTV News' Queen's Park reporter, Colin DeMello. He asked Moore about his intentions. What was Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health going to do on March 21st? Was Moore going to be running around indoors in public spaces, unmasked? Ontario's top doctor was firm in his answer. He was going to be wearing his mask, and that's more or less been the advice from all doctors and public health officials. Yes, you no longer have to wear a mask, but you should almost definitely be wearing a mask whenever you're in a public indoor space. That doesn't seem to be the message being received, though, which is why we have not just one but two doctors on this week's podcast. So first up on this edition of the Guelph Politicast, we will be joined by Dr. Rose Zacharias, the president-elect of the Ontario Medical Association. Dr. Zacharias is a medical hospitalist and a physician wellness officer with Waypoint Center for Mental Health Care, and she has 17 years of experience as an emergency physician. Her term as the president of the OMA will begin on May 5th, But on today's podcast, she will talk to us about what we should call this phase of the pandemic and why the recent increase in new COVID cases was to be expected. Dr. Zacharias will also tell us when and why mask wearing is still the best policy and how best to judge your own health and safety, as well as how to navigate environments where you might be the only one still wearing your mask. After Dr. Zacharias, we will be joined by Dr. Jane Purvis, who is the president of the Ontario Rheumatology Association and is a specialist in both rheumatology and internal medicine with a practice in Peterborough. Rheumatologists deal especially with patients who are immunocompromised, and those are the people who are now in particular danger in a maskless world. Dr. Purvis will talk about how life has changed for people who are immunocompromised and why masking is so important to make conditions safer for everyone, but especially people with immunity issues. Also, she will discuss the trouble with complex public health messaging, trying to reach the people who are eligible for a fourth dose of a vaccine, and why that's an important part of any safety plan against COVID-19 going forward. So... I caught up with both Dr. Rose Zacharias and then Dr. Jane Purvis earlier this week via Zoom. So Dr. Rose Zacharias, thank you for hopping on with me today. Great. Yeah, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Maybe to start, um, in your learned medical opinion, how would you describe the phase of the pandemic we're in now? Like what kind of, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say sixth wave. I've heard that this morning on the news, but I mean, just 
in terms of how you're looking at things as a doctor, where are we now? So Adam, we're really in a recovery phase of the pandemic, I would say, and you'll hear the word endemic. So really a stage where we're learning to live with the virus, and you'll see that reflected in the public health restrictions and how the mandates have changed. We are definitely not where we were a year ago, or, you know, think back to March 2020, no one was vaccinated. Um, So here we are two years in, in some ways, it feels like a, a particularly long haul, but I'm proud of Ontario, actually, and proud of Ontario's doctors for having led the way in public health in particularly, but I would use the word recovery and endemic, living with the virus, uh, feeling optimistic, um, but still being careful. I've heard that phrase endemic before. Um, is there like an example we can point to to say like, this is what living in an endemic world, like with, with a particular uh, virus or illness where we live with it endemically, if that's a word? <laughs> Sure. Well, I mean, people are really familiar with the flu virus, right? It is something that as a healthcare system over the years, we have accommodated to. And so people are encouraged to get their flu shots every flu season, generally in the fall. And at that point, you know, the scientists have determined what is the strain of flu that's circulating in the community? How will it impact our healthcare system? Get your flu shots. That's the responsible thing to do at that time. And so it's really when COVID was introduced as this brand new virus that we needed to take it extremely seriously because there was a potential to overwhelm the healthcare system. And so it was a pandemic. It wasn't something we knew how to live with. It was something we had to respond to fairly urgently and emergently in many cases. And so that really describes kind of the difference between how we responded to COVID initially, and then how now we can consider it more like a virus we can live with and take some precautions around, but it doesn't have to halt our kind of normal everyday way of life in the extreme ways that it has in the last two years. Mm -hmm. That makes messaging kind of harder though, right? Because Mm. at the beginning, nobody has immunity. The only solution is to like stay away from everybody closed down. Now, just to point out, sort of my local example, um, 90% of people in Wellington, Dufferin, Guelph have two shots of a COVID vaccine. About 60% have a booster. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of natural immunity going around. I guess, you know, how how do you judge or or how do you message, you know, in, in this kind of circumstance where there's pretty good pretty good protection in the general community, but I mean, it's, it's not a hundred percent. And as we all know, you can still get COVID even though you've had three shots. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you say messaging harder, I would say messaging more intentional and, uh, and I would say hopeful, but indeed still important. There's a lot of ways we can currently adapt and stay safe in COVID in this current stage of the pandemic. First and foremost, as you mentioned, vaccinations. I am so proud of Ontario. We are, as a province, um, over 90% 
vaccinated. And that is fantastic. And yet there are still some people that lag behind with those booster shots and, and some folks that are still signing up each day for those first shots. And so that is first and foremost, what we encourage people in Ontario to still do get vaccinated. And secondly, you know, even though the mask mandates have dropped, it's still really um, wise, I think, to mask indoors, to be mindful of people in the room uh, in the grocery store or in a closed space that may be immunocompromised, have multiple medical conditions, be a bit older and a little bit more vulnerable. If they got COVID, they would get sicker. Kids that are not yet eligible for the vaccine, you know, to be mindful of them also. And so we've gotten fairly used to it, you know, keep that mask handy in the glove compartment. You're just about to exit the car to go get your groceries. And so you could still put that mask on. It's your choice. Uh, it's important to respect people's choices. But these are some of the key ways to still stay safe in COVID. And, and those messages can be pretty clear, I think. I think the message is clear. And I don't think I have heard a single public health official or doctor basically say, oh, yeah, when I go in anywhere, I'm totally going maskless now that I can. That, that famously, Dr. Moore was asked that question when, when he announced mm -hmm. the end of the mask mandate. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like the general public, it seems like some people are just like, oh, it's March 21st, the mask is right off. So, it, you know, while it can be like, it, it is still a recommended protective measure for any doctor you talk to, the general public seem to be like, well, I don't have to do it anymore. So it comes right off. Um, so I guess, you know, the mask has, like it or not, sort of become a symbol of like being forced to live with the COVID. Mm -hmm. I guess how do we kind of rephrase that to sort of say like, I guess, I guess make it a public, a, like make it a public service, I guess, you know, it's like, mm. yeah, wear a mask, like support your community, make sure everyone is protected. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I hear what you're saying and it's, it's gotten complicated. You know, the mask seems to represent more than just, protecting yourself against transmission from the virus or protecting others, which really as a device is, <laughs> is what it's all about. But, um, but we're human beings. We look across the room, see someone with a mask or without a mask, and our brain goes there, right? Making judgments about who they are, what they might be thinking, what they're doing and why, what's their motivation. But I think I would just so caution us um, about that. I mean, the pandemic, no matter where you have sat on, on some of these issues, has been hard on all of us. And we have collectively come through uh, a crazy, difficult, uh, stressful time in our history. And so it is, it is time to, um, to be neighborly, <laughs> mm. to be kind. And, um, and, and, and so putting on that mask, I think, is about protecting others around you. You may be fully vaccinated and completely healthy, but walking into a grocery store and putting on a mask can very well be a sign that you're thinking of other people in the room. And yet, if you go into the grocery store and you're not wearing a mask, it doesn't mean that you're not being kind or not being mindful of other people in the room. At this point, the public health measures, um, you know, outline that masking is, is optional. Now, some organize, some 
um, businesses may still have. I just walked into uh, a, a retail store the other day and it said, you know, we were almost there, but not quite yet. Please keep your mask on. And I thought that was a, f- a fair message, one to respect. I put my mask on and I walked in. So yeah, masking um, has become a choice. We need to be respectful of people's choices. It still has a role to play, I think, in the transmission of the virus. Um, but uh, we are at a different stage right now. And I think that's okay. To, to take it further from what you were saying too, not all indoor spaces are created equally. Like we still have to wear a mask on transit. Right. And, you know, looking at the virus and how it actually is transmitted and infects a person, we know that it's aerosolized. This is something that we have learned over the course of the pandemic. So it's not just you can imagine someone sneezing or coughing and, you know, you see kind of in profile, you see those um, those droplets, right, that would be virus containing and then they fall to the ground. We know that COVID um, can linger in the air. And so that's why there's emphasis now on well-ventilated spaces being out doors with the great big blue sky above us that's the best ventilation (laughs) going right um so yeah so not all spaces are created equal outdoors is always going to be safer and i know there's emphasis now on ventilating indoor spaces and and that's really great because i think that's going to get us through this next phase of the virus um Mm -hmm. quite successfully Mm -hmm. i guess and i was talking to another doctor about this you know, we're, we're, we're asking members of the general public who are not necessarily like medical experts themselves to sort of go down this checklist uh, as they enter spaces it's like, well, is it well ventilated? Am I in close quarters? Um, it, are other people being masked? Um, are, I, I'm wondering from j- just like a public health point of view, are we maybe asking too much of the general public or are, are we not sort of preparing people enough to sort of have that kind of advanced responsibility for their own uh, health and safety. It is challenging, isn't it, to keep up with all the latest guidelines. And so I would encourage people to go to their public health website. All public health websites in Ontario are constantly being updated as well to take your questions, even about, you know, your vaccination eligibility, when it's time for that booster dose, um, where's the best place to go and get vaccinated. If you're symptomatic, indeed, to um, be rapid testing at home, um, to access your family doctor. Um, If you have a family doctor, that really is your key relationship and um, information source to sort through some of what can be really confusing. None of us are COVID experts. We have public Mm. health officials that are indeed the researched evidence-based, you know, science following officials that um, have a responsibility to the public to inform us. And taking in that information can be overwhelming. But I'd say use the internet and go to trusted sources like your public health website, and then lean into the advice of your family doctor and you'll get it right i think then every time there is something reassuring hearing your approach and the approach of other public health officials but i want to talk for a minute about the people who are kind of you know at the beginning of the pandemic we had these we had some people who were like don't tell me what to do don't tell me to wear a mask don't tell me to get, get vaccinated whatever it is we kind of have the opposite problem now where we have people are saying like you will you 
can take my mask off my cold dead face um it's, no, okay. i've had someone say that to you i'm i'm yeah, i'm, I'm extrapolating i'm extrapol- i'm extrapolating an extremist but okay. it, there, there is there is that feeling right where, where people are like i don't care what you say i will wear this mask until i'm sure. absolutely 100 percent sure there's yeah. no such thing as covid19 anymore mm-hmm. um i mean how how should we sort of let those people sort of have their comfort, I guess. (laughs) So as you are pointing out, uh, COVID has been stressful and wearing a mask and getting vaccinated for some people has become very complicated. I see a very clear through line in uh, following the advice of public health and getting vaccinated. Vaccines are safe and effective. And and yet we know also just um, taking a kind of higher level view, uh, anxiety around and mental health uh, around the pandemic is at, at an all time high. And so people are struggling. I think we need to be mindful of that. And I think sometimes choices are, and reactions are more grounded and rooted in in anxiety um, when they seem to be on either ends of the extreme. If you're able to kind of see a through line through Mm -hmm. vaccines are safe and effective, at this point, mask mandates have been lifted, but it's still smart to wear them indoors um, oftentimes. And pay attention to your symptoms. If you're sick, you shouldn't be out in public. And to stay tuned because the science is evolving, but the science will lead us through that clear through line. And then at the end of the day, when you've got a good friend or a neighbor that just doesn't agree with you be a good neighbor and uh, withhold judgment and know that yeah we I, I heard it said well you know we've been on the same uh, stormy sea of COVID but not necessarily all in the same boat right right so our experiences are different and um, and it's it's just really good to remember that kindness will will get us uh, really far and I have colleagues um and we've had these conversations because we are also family members and neighbors and friends and um you know part of social groups and so i've experienced uh people with opinions on either extreme and and at the end of the day for me uh relationships matter a lot my friendships matter a lot cohesive collegial relationships at work matter a lot and so leaning in and listening and sometimes understanding where does an extreme point of view come from is a really good conversation to have doesn't change the science. Vaccines right. are still safe and effective. And we've got some good public health advice to follow. But, but people are more complicated than that sometimes. Yes. And, and that's okay. But it's it's a good time to lean in and listen and really ask people how they're doing. Like, just like you're asking me, <laughs> how's it going with COVID? Yeah. I guess the Looking to sort of the immediate future, we're in kind of a weird transition period right now. We have two years of, of, of experience with COVID that shows that cases go way down in the summertime. And that's for like the obvious reasons why the cases of the cold and flu go down in the summertime. But right now, here we are at the end of March. Uh, some days the weather is good. Some days the weather isn't. Sometimes we're you know out and about and it's nice. And sometimes we're still stuck indoors when it's a really chilly day like today. Um was this kind of a weird period to sort of maybe look at taking the mandate off? Like we're almost kind of living outdoors again, but we're still kind of cloistered indoors. 
I guess like what what's kind of in the immediate future in terms of where do you think the 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 virus is going in terms of spread? So I think we can expect an increase in cases when restrictions lift. That would be a very reasonable expectation. And indeed, we're following uh, the um, the the virus and it has been found in wastewater. And so we know that there's actually a Omicron variant named BA2, not more dangerous, but maybe a bit more transmissible that's being found uh, in wastewater. And so we know the virus is still out there. Um, as far as, you know, public health restrictions lifting, the whole point of our response, the healthcare system's response has been that with the virus circulating, we would not overwhelm our hospitals. We would not overwhelm the healthcare system. We have only so many resources and a population to look after, right? And so these decisions are made with that always in mind. And so at this point, the science has led us to where public health officials are saying, we can lift a mask mandate. Uh, we haven't changed our opinion on vaccines. That has been you know, safe and effective from the time they've been introduced. And so I think it's, it's okay. Uh, we need to be mindful that you know, at some point things could change. We may be asked to reintroduce some of those restrictions. And if so, it'll be for our greater good. Uh, I'm an optimistic half glass full <laughs> type person. I am so glad it's spring and here comes the summer. I think we can anticipate uh, really feeling normal again um, in this next season, but we will have to pay attention and, and lean in and be able to respond if we're being asked to, to scale back a little bit in the, in the, in the, in the, in the next while. This may be, I may be asking about too much opinion versus science, but is it possible that, you know, as we come back around to September, we come back to the post-summer and we're getting, things are getting colder. We're going back indoors. Do we start treating COVID like it's a seasonal flu, like it's September and you know, we start having the government put out ads that say, don't forget to get your COVID booster because it, it, winter's almost here and COVID is spreading. And then we kind of treat it like we treat the flu. It's this, it, it's like, it's winter. It's time to think about COVID again. <laughs> so I won't be surprised at all if we're asked to get an additional booster. Like we've got a series right now, two shots and then a booster and you're uh, fully vaccinated. And I won't be surprised if in the next six months, I'm I mean, I, I can't put a time limit on it. I'll be listening to the public health experts as well uh, because we're watching the virus mutate and we want so much to protect the population against a mutated virus that could potentially get enough of us sick that we occupy too many hospital beds and we can't manage the healthcare problems that we know we deal with day to day, right? So much of that's actually been put on hold there's a gargantuan number uh, that we know 21 million patient care services have actually been backlogged because we've been dealing with the crisis of the pandemic. It's time to catch up on those. COVID is at a rate where we can be focusing now on catching up on some surgeries that have been delayed, diagnostic uh, imaging, and even cancer screening that has been delayed. So we need to catch up on some things and we need to watch public health as it guides us through the next phases of this 
pandemic endemic and uh, and to be ready to to respond. I'm feeling hopeful for the summer, like I said, but uh, but science will guide us and uh, and will show us the next next steps that we need to take. Well, I'm a deeply ingrained cynic, but I think your hopefulness is catching. So, is uh, it? <laughs> <laughs> well, if hopefulness is contagious, then we can uh, we can we can focus on on the, the the positive aspect of that contagiousness. There you for go. This interview. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Dr. Rose Zacharias. Thank you for your uh, all your time today and your expertise. It's appreciated. Great. You're welcome. So, Dr. Jane Purvis, thank you so much for hopping on with me today. Thank you very much for asking me. Why don't we just start with uh, the baseline question so that we're all kind of all on the same page. Can you explain to the listeners what a rheumatologist is and, and what a rheumatologist does? Well, that's, a, that's an excellent question to start out with. And then thank you very much for this opportunity. So a rheumatologist is a internal medicine doctor who then subspecializes in the treatment of what are called rheumatic diseases, the classic ones being lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. So that would be your four years of medical school, um, and there's five years of fellowship after that. So you're nine years in, and then maybe a year or two extra after that. So someone who's very specialized in the treatment of primarily immune-related diseases. And I thought I would ask you this, you know, COVID has changed, I mean, everything, you know, that especially as a doctor, but under normal circumstances, let's call them like pre-COVID circumstances, how challenging was it for people who are immune compromised in terms of like just their everyday health and, and what they had to be aware of uh, as, as they're sort of interacting with, uh, you know, out and about at the grocery store, um, meeting people in their own lives. I mean, how, how challenging was that for, I mean, I guess it, it depends on the severity and the type of immuno disorder that they have, but I mean, just generally. I'd say that's an excellent question. You've already answered it for, for everyone is that it's, it varies wildly. So there are people who've got a very mild immunocompromising condition and their risk um, for infection will only be minimally increased from uh a person who didn't have that condition to right up to people who are not only having problems with a severe immunocompromising condition, but the treatment itself can also make them even more immunocompromised. So it's the full gamut from uh, not really an occurrence at all to someone who has to be super careful, like someone who's had a bone marrow transplant or a major organ transplant, they would be in a very different category. Um, the one thing that we have learned with COVID though, is that, uh, Risk factors um, definitely increase your risk for um, poor outcomes with COVID. And the other thing that immunocompromising conditions do is they make the vaccines work a little bit less well. Mm. So that, so it's a two-pronged issue. So that number one, you might be more likely to get more sick than someone else, but also the vaccines that you've had don't work quite as well. Particularly some of our medications also suppress the benefits of the vaccine. So it's, it's a kind of a double challenge. Right. Because there's the phrasing that and a lot of this doesn't come from medical professionals themselves, but, you know, kind of in the discourse that if you have your three vaccine doses, you're, you're pretty much have a shield around you. You, you are not going to catch COVID that uh, you're 
if not 100% safe, you're uh, almost completely invulnerable from from the the virus. And that's not, just not the case, no, no and, matter and, the patient. And I would say that no matter the person. So yeah. the, the three doses of COVID vaccine, which around 75% of the province has had, significantly reduces your risk of hospitalization and ICU. But uh, everybody who's listening can testify that they know somebody right now who's got COVID who has had three doses. The difference is that as case counts are going up today, um, hospitalizations aren't yet rocketing up because a lot of people have had three doses. So that's, that's the big difference. With the Omicron, we know that two doses is minimally beneficial. So those 25% of people who haven't had their third dose yet are still vulnerable to hospitalization and you know ICU visits. But hopefully the three dose people who are otherwise well, their risk of severe outcome has been reduced. The challenge with the immunocompromised is that they need a fourth dose in order to reach that level. Mm-hmm. And even amongst them, four doses may not quite be the same as three doses in people who aren't immunocompromised. So the government has strongly suggested three doses for everybody, but for another group of people, fourth doses for sure. Strongly suggested, but it feels like that message does not permeate whenever we see Dr. Moore or the Minister of Health even when they're talking about the current state of COVID. I don't, I can't remember the last time I heard one of them talk about getting a fourth dose if you're immunocompromised. It was mentioned for sure. So the chief medical officer of health definitely released it. And the the province has released it over and over again. The challenge is that, you know, we're all COVID exhausted. I mean, we're exhausted in every way. So these little tidbits of news can get lost in the shuffle. Um, And as I said, there's still 25% of people haven't even gotten their third dose. And if you ask them why they haven't, a lot of them will say, what, I thought I was done too. Right. And the fourth dose, there's many, many people who don't realize that they qualify for a fourth dose um, and that it's it's to their advantage, particularly as COVID is going up and masks are coming off some people, um, that they get those fourth doses right away. So, uh, you know, what are kind of the challenges for people in in your part of the profession right now? Because you deal exclusively with people who have... uh, you know, issues with their immunity. Um, so, so in terms of, I mean, it, it almost feels like the, the worst aspects of where we are in the pandemic right now are kind of falling on people who work in your area of specialization. It, is, is that fair? I would say, yes. Before we were all hiding out as a group, <laughs> all society was hiding out and everybody was trying to stay safe. And now what's happening is that the burden is shifting to people who have to understand their own risk and then and act accordingly. So, you know, people are saying, oh, masks can come off. Well, it only means the mandate's been lifted. It doesn't mean you have to take your mask off. And there are going to be some people who masking is going to remain um, an important uh, strategy on an ongoing basis. And same with, you know, figuring out if you're someone who should be getting a fourth dose And then the other thing that hopefully we're going to be touching on today is that access to outpatient treatments for COVID infection, which also exist and perhaps haven't quite reached the the public discourse as much as it should. Is that like long COVID, Um, like people who have the the virus for like weeks or months or? um... No, it turns out that there actually is treatment for acute COVID now. 
Okay. So for people who qualify, which are all these immunocompromised people, if you develop COVID symptoms, you can be um, urgently assessed at a COVID assessment center. And if you have COVID, so they do a test, if it's positive, and if you qualify, there's now outpatient pills called Paxlovid uh, that you can get within five days of the onset of symptoms that have been shown to dramatically reduce your likelihood of ending up in the hospital. There's also intravenous monoclonal antibodies that are available in a lot of centers that are administered as a single outpatient infusion and uh, then uh, you talked about that wall of defense. Then you've got a, a new wall of defense against that worsening of COVID that, that people get. So typically with a COVID infection, it starts small and then all of a sudden it blossoms into something huge. And right. these outpatient treatments can keep that explosion from occurring. Right. Okay. I, I get where you're coming from. I, I do think this is kind of, and maybe you can correct me, this is kind of all of a piece because most people can get the shot and uh, it's, it's incredibly effective and away you go and, and, you know, you can embrace normalcy if that's what you choose. But, you know, it, we're, we're coming to like a, an incredibly more complex phase of the pandemic, if we can still call, call it a pandemic or if it's an endemic or, or whichever phrase we want, we want to use. But we're entering the one size does not fit all, um, I, I guess, medical advice portion of the pandemic. And that makes messaging incredibly more difficult. I 100% agree. And that's something that at the Ontario Rheumatology Association, uh, we've been spending lots of our time trying to get the message out because a lot of the people who would qualify for the fourth dose and for outpatient COVID treatment are currently feeling perfectly fine. And they're not seeing their doctors all the time. They're just out there living their lives, feeling good, not realizing that A, they're at higher risk and that B, there's mitigating strategies that they haven't heard about. Um, and if you are on your sixth day of COVID infection, you will not qualify for Paxlovid mm. outpatient treatment. It's just not, it's only for the first five days. The intravenous treatment is within seven days. So if you wait till you know 10 days and you're really sick, you, you've potentially missed out on um, what could be potentially a life-altering treatment. And that's so a, we, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just saying that's a kind of a reflexive action in, that we have most of the time where if we feel sick, it's like, well, I'll see how I am in a couple of days. Exactly. <laughs> and, and particularly with COVID, at Christmas time, everybody heard the message, yes, it's COVID, do stay home. And now what's happening is that people aren't going to the hospital, even when they're really sick. So, I mean, I've, I've heard of cases of people who've got severe COVID and they show up at the hospital um, when they're much more sick than they probably would have been, except that they got that message, it's COVID, stay home. Well, mm. in fact, now we have to try and split that message. If it's mild COVID, you're triple vaxxed, you're otherwise well, you're 28, um, you can stay home you'll get better um, and on you go. But if you're 28 and you're on an immune compromising medication, you need to do, you need to do something. At least you need to know that you've got to make a decision quickly um, whether you're going to do something or not. Right. And I mean, this is kind of <laughs> messaging on mass is always difficult no matter what the issue is, but you know, we have issues of different therapeutic treatments and, and sort of trying to choose what's best for you. We have issues of 
risk factors. But at the same time, we have this message of the mandate is over. Um, we're reopening. We're getting back to normal. And it feels like that's the message that everybody's hearing, everybody's feeling, even though there's still all this other stuff going on. So I guess how do you and you may not have the complete, you know, you, you will definitely have thoughts about this. You may not, maybe not the solutions, but I mean, how do, how does one doctor kind of combat this cacophony of, of mixed messages? Well, thankfully it's not just me. So um, <laughs> the Ontario Rheumatology Association is working with the provincial governments so or working with uh, um, the, the people in the vaccine equity department. We're working with public health units um, and uh, for example, the Peterborough Public Health Unit, along with the Peterborough Hospital today, released a news release that talks about these exact points. Um, and so we're working with them. Um, but you're quite right. It's like a lot of other news going on and people are sick and tired of hearing about the pandemic, but we're doing our best. The other thing that we're doing um, is uh, a lot of these medications that are used are given as intravenous infusions and in infusion clinics. So we're working now with infusion clinics to try and get them to help with the messaging, to target it directly to the people who, you know, who qualify, who, who may not know. Right. Did we get the messaging on masks wrong? Because this is something I've kind of been rattling in my own head. Um, it, it comes out, it's like, if you want COVID to be over, wear a mask, get vaccinated. And it, we've kind of been focused on this idea that there will be an end date. Uh, would we perhaps be having fewer issues if the messaging on masks was, you know what, if you want to help your, your fellow humans stay healthy, stay safe, uh, wear a mask. If it was, you know, kind of more of a, a call to public service than sort of like a, put a mask on your face. So this can be over kind of message. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think masking has turned out to be a, a, an extremely interesting uh, topic, and I'm sure that there'll be people who are going to be doing their PhDs on the uh, sociology of masking, and and so I mean, just from the behavioral point of view, you know, in Asia they've been wearing masks um, for years in public mm. um, as a as a way of being polite. So for them, this is an, an established uh, community activity. While here, it's become you know in some ways politicized. Yeah. Um, the other messaging around masks that has been somewhat lost is, you know, the kind of mask. So even now I see immunocompromised people still wearing cloth masks when, you know, Dr. Tam clearly said a number of months ago that cloth masks did not cut it in the Omicron world. That if you aren't wearing a well-fitting surgical mask and preferably, you know, a really well-fitting surgical mask or even a KN95 mask, um, you're not really doing yourself any any favors and, you know, kind of our guidelines for uh, immunocompromised patient encounters in my office and in, and in, in hospitals is that you're handed a surgical mask. Right. So your, your, your cloth mask is just not worth the cloth that it's made of right now. Better just to put that away and you can find it in a couple of years and say, oh, remember when we used to wear those. <laughs> but for the moment now, if you're going to wear a mask, it should be at minimum a surgical mask. If people are wearing a mask, I think is sort of the key modifier there because, um, I mean, for your patients, what good does it do to have, you know, if you're, you're going to the movie theater and maybe half the people there are wearing a mask and not necessarily because 
people are unmasked because they're eating the popcorn. They're just, you know, they know the mandate is over and it's not a big deal anymore. So I guess like how, how much, how much, how effective is whatever masking that is happening right now uh, effective for, for patients? That's, that's an excellent question. And they have done some good studies looking at masks and showing that if, you know, both people are wearing fitted N95 masks, you could spend 24 hours together and not much would happen. And if one person has COVID and the other person doesn't, but they don't have masks on, the likelihood of that uh, person getting exposed to COVID is extremely high. In the pre-vaccination days, you would almost been guaranteed that you would have gotten COVID. So if it was an unvaccinated person exposed to Omicron in a room, um, almost certainly you would get it if you weren't vaccinated. And then every other scenario in between lessens that. So both of them wearing cloth masks lessens it. And then if one of them's wearing a, um, a well-fitted surgical mask and the other one's wearing a cloth mask, it's better. So it's, it's levels of exposure, it's choices, it's how big the room is, it's is there adequate ventilation. And if the person who's immunocompromised wears a well-fitting surgical mask, their risk would be significantly reduced. Now you can't reduce your risk to zero at any time, but if you were wearing a really good mask, the theater is half full, the ventilation is on, that's a very different exposure than if you're on a crowded bus, the windows mm -hmm. are all shut and you're really like, you know, cheek to jowl with the next person. Um, and that's where people have to make their choices, like their level of comfort. So some people, some people will say, well, I'm, I'm fine taking the risk at the movies. I'll keep my KN95 mask on and other people wouldn't. And then other patients of mine, I have a few that really haven't left their homes mm. um, for the last two years. Mm. Is it reasonable to ask people who are especially vulnerable to illness to, I mean, almost, it almost makes us sound like counterterrorism experts to have to walk into a room and like know where the exits are and know where the, you know, where the danger might come from and where the blind spots are. You kind of have to do that analysis whenever you mm -hmm. go anywhere anymore. And it, is that kind of reasonable to ask people with medical issues to do? Well, I, I think that's, that's what the new COVID process is, is it's an individual risk assessment. Um, so people have to understand all of the variables. Um, is it a well-ventilated space? You know, are people wearing masks? Is there yelling? Um, or, you know, so if you were, you know, at let's say a fully occupied sporting event where everyone is up and down and cheering and drinking alcohol and, and very boisterous and no one's wearing masks, that's going to be significant or where people are singing the same kind of thing is, um, you know, so they, they, when they close the karaoke bars, it was because karaoke is an excellent transmission for COVID because of singing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe to wrap up our time here. Um, if, the, if there's something in particular that is giving you kind of a pause, like kind of a warning sign, but along with that, you know, is there anything that's kind of making you hopeful as, as we're kind of moving forward into this next phase of the pandemic? Well, I would say the thing that's making me concerned is I don't think that everybody understands the options that they have. Mm. So that you, number one, you can still wear a good mask. Um, and number two, you can get fully vaccinated, whatever that happens to be. So I would say, you know, three shots or four shots, if you can get the fourth shot. Um, so if the fourth shot is available, I you know, would strongly encourage if, if you've had some, you might as well get them all. 
The fourth shot definitely is an improvement over three for the immunocompromised group. And then finally, for people to know that they can get treated for COVID. Um, so they don't have to wait until they're horribly sick and go to the hospital. They can actually prevent that. And that's one of the things that gives me the, the greatest amount of hope is that we have all these mitigation strategies now so that going forwards, you know, if you're a, a low risk person and you get COVID, you'll just have a really wicked cold or influenza like illness. Um, unfortunately, it might happen more than once, but that will be what you get. And if you are at higher risk, we now have outpatient treatments as well as extra vaccines and increasing inpatient treatments that hopefully will start, you know, lessening the, um, the worry about mortality. Unfortunately, I think you already said long COVID once. Yeah. Um, long COVID remains a significant and separate concern so that, you know, avoiding getting infected is obviously key. Um, and, you know, if you can be less infected, by you know, being vaccinated and getting outpatient treatment, I think that's going to give you a better chance to avoid things like long COVID going forward. Best way to avoid long COVID is to not get COVID in the first place. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. To make sure we put it on the record, uh, for people who are eligible to get a fourth dose of the vaccine, who are those people? Um, people who are eligible to get fourth doses of the vaccine are people who are in long-term care. Um, people in retirement homes, and then people on um, immunocompromising medications um, as listed by the government. Um, they were the people who were able to get a third dose early. So they got a third dose back in the fall, and they now qualify for a fourth dose. Um, if anyone has any questions, you just need to contact your prescriber because the list is you know, well described and it's been out now for six months. Um, and those same people are also the ones who would qualify for outpatient therapy for COVID if they get infected. And again, calling their prescriber would be the thing to do. Um, you can also contact uh, your local COVID assessment center and they are regional across the whole province. That is uh, great advice. So uh, Dr. Jane Purvis, we, uh, we thank you for your time and your expertise today. And uh, well, good, good luck through the next little bit here. I think you're going to be very busy still, unfortunately. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, and I really appreciate uh, really appreciate the questions. And um, and again, if anyone who is listening has questions, contact their prescribers to find out if they're part of this big group of immunocompromised people, so that you know what your options are. And once again, that was Dr. Rose Zacharias and Dr. Jane Purvis. You can learn more about the Ontario Medical Association at oma.org, and you can learn more about the Ontario Rheumatology Association at ontarioroom.ca. That is Ontario, R-H-E-U-M dot C-A. You can also get the latest case count and vaccine information in our region at wdgpublichealth.ca. And if you have any questions or have any need to get medical advice about COVID-19 or any other health issue for that matter, you can seek out the expertise and advice of your own family physician and hopefully you have that information handy. But that's all for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, check out CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel... 
you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on the Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can certainly do that, and you can find that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, you can check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.